Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. The aftershocks of the U.K.'s vote to leave the European Union reverberating across financial markets again today. After a weekend of political turmoil with the pound extending its record sell-off, European equities dropping to levels last seen in February. Right now, we have got the pound at $1.3174, down 3.7%. Crude down 3.6%, dropping $1.734591. Gold up four-tenths of 1%. It is up 540 to 13.27 for an ounce of gold. S&P 500 index down 41 to 19.95, a drop there of 2%. NASDAQ down 120 points, a drop there of 2.6%. Dow Jones Industrial Average, it is lower now by 311 points. For the Dow Jones Industrial Average, that is a drop of 1.8%. We're brought to you by Hartford Funds Human-Centric Excited Investing Insight Number 7. For financial advisors, keeping in touch with clients through technology is a great idea until it's a bad idea. To find out why, go to humancentricinvesting.com. Hartford Funds Distributors, LLC. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. The political mess in the U.K. just seems to get messier, and S&P Global Ratings is not ignoring it. They just cut the U.K.'s top credit rate by two levels. Of course, this follows the Brexit vote. S&P lowering their rating to AA from AAA. That's still pretty strong. Nevertheless, they are concerned about a less effective policy framework in the U.K., the risk of a deterioration in external financial conditions and even or financing conditions, I should say. Not exactly the same thing. Then there's constitutional issues arising the majority of voters in Scotland and Northern Ireland having opted to remain in the EU. Those are the factors cited by S&P today. We're joined now by Karsten Nicholas, Deputy Director of Research at Teneo Intelligence. He joins us from Brussels. Karsten, I think the question now is where is the leadership? You wrote a piece uh, just in the last couple of days talking about the dismal performances in reply to the UK referendum outcome put on by some of the EU's top leaders? Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly the way we look at it. Uh, I mean, uh, if you consider the immediate reactions here in Brussels um, from the presidents of the European Council, the European Parliament, the European Commission, um, there wasn't much indication at all about where we're headed next. Um, at the same time, if you look at Westminster, if you look at British politics, uh, there's certainly, you know, there's a leadership standoff going on within the Conservative Party. There's certainly one going on within the opposition, within the Labour Party. Um, so, you know, all of this leaves us with a void, basically. Um, the leadership question is, uh, is utterly unresolved. And as, uh, as so often uh, in the recent past in Europe, it seems that it's down to Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor in Berlin, uh, who was meeting with her French and Italian counterparts this evening um, to give some indication of where we're heading next. Angela Merkel, of everyone who's spoken out, seems to be the one who, whether you're reading between the lines or not, just is hoping for some way to preserve a strong, certainly a strong trade relationship with the UK and the EU, particularly at a time when, you know, Italy's economy and markets and banks don't look so good. France has problems. EU, UK leaves uh, the EU, and what does she have left? Yes, that's that's certainly true, and I think um, 
So from her perspective, there's obviously always been a strong interest, not just for economic reasons, to keep the UK inside the EU. Um, there's also the whole political story of, you know, strengthening this, let's say, North European liberal-minded, pro-market um, slant within EU policymaking. But on the other hand, now that this decision has been made, I think um, German policymakers and Merkel specifically have, have, have to look ahead. And uh, they uh, need to balance uh, different um, opinions within the remaining EU27. And uh, if you look further to the south and uh, specifically to Paris, uh, you'll see that other member states are already pushing for a pretty hardline stance vis-a-vis -vis -vis the United Kingdom. And I think the reason for this is quite clear. Many leaders in Europe face their own Eurosceptic movements at home, and they want to make sure that they send a strong message to their own electorate that flirting with Eurosceptic forces is not a good idea in the first place. So it's going to be very difficult um, to balance these positions within the remaining EU27. So uh, we have Spanish bond yields dropping uh, the most since 2014 after the acting prime minister, Mariano Rajoy, defied opinion polls to consolidate his position in the country's general election. And some had speculated that the Brexit vote suggested that the opposition would win. What does this mean for the future of the EU? Well, I think how strong the, the impact of Brexit really has been for this um, for the Spanish election result, I think that's, that's, that's an open question. Um, certainly what we're seeing is that government formation uh, has been difficult in many places in southern Europe um, over the last couple of years. And I think the underlying trend that we see in many of these places across the board, in northern Europe and southern Europe, is the rise of political fragmentation, the rise of populist forces. Even in places where you don't see this in Parliament, such as in the UK, you see that populism and political fragmentation feeds through into mainstream parties. And I think the bottom line, the, the, the outcome for, for policymaking in Europe is that it's getting more and more difficult to find centrist majorities for pragmatic policy choices here in Brussels. So the political center is becoming more and more constrained, and that makes it more and more difficult to push for policies from, you know, closer integration to economic reform to more trade. So that's certainly a worrying development for policymaking in Europe. Well, and what is the chatter in Brussels? Are people looking over their shoulders, people whose livelihoods, who have jobs with, you know, the EU? And because a lot of people are wondering, is this the beginning of the end for the EU? No, I don't think so. I, I think what it is, or it, it feeds into a longer standing development towards more intergovernmental solutions. I think that has always been the question here in Brussels. How do you want to design this European project in a way where member states governments play a crucial role? That's one option or by really integrating sovereignty in Brussels and strengthening the European Commission. And I think the trend that we've already seen during the Eurozone crisis over the last couple of years is that member states' governments continue to play a very strong role in the European process. So I think the outcome here in Brussels is that what we're going to see over the next couple of years is more and more ad hoc deals, incremental pro progress. If there is a crisis that needs to be resolved, we see member states coming together. It's going to be more of a step-by-step -step approach to European integration. Well, that's certainly the optimistic view for the European Union itself. Uh, remains to be seen what it means for the U.K. as they prepare to leave the European Union. Carson Nickel, thank you so very much. He's Deputy Director of Research at Teneo Intelligence, joining us from Brussels. I'm Kathleen Hayes. This is Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio. Brexit reverberating through businesses and companies around the world. What does it mean for luxury travel? We're going to find out next. 
as Taking Stock continues on Bloomberg Radio. 